0: This is a reading of uh, a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner, collected works number two hundred and eighteen, two one eight, 218, entitled Spirit as Sculptor of the Human Organism. Translated by Matthew Barton. This is Lecture 8, given in London on the 16th of November, 1922. Today I will need to speak to you about the spiritual powers and beings Who live supersensibly in our proximity, and have a share in our earthly life. You will understand that everything occurring between spiritual beings in the supersensible world, and the way such spiritual beings relate to one another, is different in nature from what human beings customarily do during their life on earth, and that it is therefore difficult to express in human language, which is of course intended for human circumstances. The nature and activities of what we may call supersensible intelligences. Since this needs to be done nowadays, however, we must do it pictorially. And you will understand that some expressions I use appear to be coined in relation to human conditions. In fact, they are accurate, but inevitably drawn from human circumstances and offered as a picture. Nature surrounds us with her diverse realms, the mineral plant and animal kingdoms, and we can also say with the physical human kingdom. The natural world surrounding us has, you can say, a second nature behind it, a spiritual, supersensible one. We perceive the natural world with our senses. Supersensible nature, which lies behind it, is not ordinarily perceived but nevertheless has a great effect upon our earthly existence. The second thing to be considered is that we have a physical nature, and when we look inside ourselves, perceive this physical nature as our instincts and passions. Naturally, this is all astral, but it streams up out of our physical nature. Underlying what we perceive in this way within us as instincts, drives and passions, is a kind of kingdom of beings with an intimate relationship to us, yet they are subhuman in nature. On the one hand, therefore, we look around us with our senses and see, as it were, the surface of nature, its exterior countenance, under which we must intuit supersensible nature. And on the other, looking into ourselves and perceiving our own drives, instincts and passions, we have to intuit a subsensible nature underlying these and coming to expression in them and through us. We can only gain insight into the supersensible nature around us by spiritual vision, looking beyond the strictly natural laws on which scientists focus their gaze. The results of scientific research will never be able to reveal supersensible nature underlying the natural world. But it does become apparent if we sharpen our spiritual perception not of what is strictly lawful, but of what people usually refer to as chance or random occurrence. Chance governs everything in the world around us that comes to expression in the weather, in the irregularities of the atmosphere through the seasons. You can attribute say, a London fog, to certain general causes. But you cannot identify the precise detail of every factor involved. Wind and weather are considered to be fairly random in nature. And weather forecasts do not offer a prediction as certain as that the sun will rise tomorrow. In other words, natural laws seem to be something quite different from what manifests in wind and weather which people think of initially as fairly random occurrences. It is possible to develop a certain prophetic gift for predicting the weather, but this is something intuitive or inspired and cannot be formulated in strict laws. Well, there are beings living in everything that comes to expression in wind and weather, and they are not perceived because they have no body visible to the senses that earthly beings possess. These beings living in the wind and the weather do exist, nevertheless, and have a body composed only of air and warmth, without any water, fluid or solidity. Their body is one of air and warmth alone. This body of theirs dissolves and undergoes rapid transformations. The cloud formations we see, the sensations we have of wind, are only an outward expression, of the deeds, if you like, of these beings, behind which is their body of air and warmth. Looking out into our atmosphere as it encircles the earth where we live, we have a world of beings composed of air and warmth, and their nature is one I have often described in my writings and lectures as Luciferic. These Luciferic beings have a very special endeavor in relation to humankind. Although they often live in weather, we find unpleasant, they are beings who have an extraordinary interest in the moral element at work in the human social order. They adhere so strongly to the moral element that they consider we ought not to have real a real physical body, or at least we ought not to have a body containing earthly and watery nature. They wish they could have shaped humankind like themselves, making us into entirely moral beings, though without freedom. We would be better off, in their view, if we did not have a physical nature at all, and were moral beings alone. And during the year these beings battle furiously to draw the human being away from the earth and pull him into their own sphere, to alienate him from the earth and make him earthless. These beings are especially dangerous for anything in us that is quixotic or ungrounded, any kind of foggy mysticism. People with a tendency to foggy mysticism and ungrounded enthusiasms succumb very easily to these beings who seek to draw us away from the earth, to make us a kind of angel so that we cannot possibly fall prey to immoral temptations. This probably sounds very strange and paradoxical. These powers expressed in the wind and weather, pulsing in the atmosphere, hate human freedom above all else, and wish to have nothing to do with it. They want to destroy it, if possible, and yet at the same time make us into moral automata, into nothing but angelic goodness. And if I may use an earthly expression to describe this, they, quote, fight tooth and nail, close quote, to achieve this. In contrast to these beings, which, if you like, build their fortresses in the air, though please understand I am speaking metaphorically, there are others I mentioned last time in a particular context. These have to do with what expresses itself in us in instincts, drives, desires, and passions but they do not dwell inside us. Only their effects are to be found there. These beings live directly upon the earth, yet in a way that is invisible to people, because they never acquire a body formed in a way we could ordinarily see. They possess only a body that lives in the elements of earth and water, and their deeds manifest in the ebb and flow of tides, in volcanic eruptions, earthquakes and tremors. Behind these phenomena, which, as you know, leave scientists helpless and perplexed, the spiritually honed gaze perceives a world of subhuman entities. And these subhuman entities are subject to the rule of powers I always refer to as Aramonic. These Aramonic powers with their diverse sub-spirits, including sprite and goblin-like beings who dwell in the elements of earth and water, has set themselves a different task. We really can't hold it against all these beings that they do what they do. There is no point in being annoyed with Luciferic beings. But they have the very best motivations. They want to make us intrinsically moral, albeit without any freedom at all. Moral automata. Yet they do want the best for us. The other beings who have their fortresses directly under the earth's surface... Exert influences that rise into our metabolism. The ebb and flow of the tides and the volcanic eruptions or earthquakes we witness too, though less regularly, are something that comes to expression also in a continual ebb and flow of human metabolism and is always present there. These are the Aramonic effects. Whereas the Luciferic spirits build their castles in the air to battle against the earth on behalf of morality, these other beings battle to harden us and make us resemble them. By succumbing to them, we would become endlessly clever in the material realm, endlessly ingenious, incredibly intelligent. These beings cannot achieve this directly and therefore seek to do so indirectly. Their millennia-old exertions have indeed succeeded in shaping and developing a whole race of subhuman entities that take possession of human instinctual nature, if this is especially rampant, so that such people fall prey to these aramonic powers during their lifetime. If someone has fallen prey during his lifetime to the aramonic powers, is given up entirely to his passions, instincts and drives, becoming rampant in his desires, these beings can, in quotes, harvest this after his death to create a whole population, a subhuman populace of the earth, which does indeed already exist. This does really exist in the elements of water and earth. And if we ask what such aramonic beings intend with this subhuman populace, it is this to draw this kind of instinctual nature from a human being and make it into a being of earth and water. And beings of earth and water do now actually populate the strata directly below the earth's surface. There they dwell. People who can use spiritual vision to observe minds know such entities very well. They exist there, having been torn from a human being at the moment of his death. And there waits Ahriman. There wait the Ahrimanic powers for a person's karma, caused by instincts, drives, and passions, to lead him down into an incarnation where he takes special pleasure in such a being, and therefore finds in a particular life on earth that he does not wish to return to the world of spirit. Having left his physical body, from which, after all, we depart again for a supersensible life he will seek instead to be embodied in a sub-sensible being of this kind, to remain united with the earth, no longer to die, but choosing to remain united with the earth as a subsensible entity. One has to be astonished, since Aramonic beings, after all, are extraordinarily intelligent. As paradoxical as it sounds, they always think, and this is a quite accurate finding, that by this means they will be able to entice so many people into their race that eventually the earth will be populated entirely by subhuman aramanic entities of this kind. And their intention is to make the earth immortal as a result so that it does not atomize in universal space. In our earthly human environs, therefore, we have two hosts one of beings in the atmosphere who want to make us moral but by lifting us away from the earth and of Aramonic beings directly below the earth's surface who seek to draw us down and bind us irrevocably to the earth. These two types of being exist in the mineral, plant and animal kingdoms and also in the ordinary physical domain of human nature. In so far as we do not dwell excessively in drives, passions, and desires, they are compelled to endure each other's presence within us in primordial times. The God who is called God the Father in the Christian religion, maintained peace in the mineral, plant, and animal kingdoms, and also in the external, animal, and physical nature of humankind. God the Father kept the peace in these kingdoms and also in the animal nature of human beings, insofar as it is not raised into the soul domain and so cannot be contaminated by our drives, desires and passions. If you pick up a crystal, a stone or a plant, you won't notice any discord there between these two types of beings. But the moment you consider how our soul penetrates the body, you will find the luciferic beings relating in a particular way to the Aramonic Ones, as it were, saying to them, quote, We promised God the Father that we will not dispute about minerals, plants or animals, nor about the human being, as long as he remained in olden times an unconscious being who did not reflect, who lived like an animal. But we will fight tooth and nail over the human being who has achieved self-awareness. Close quote. Indeed, A terrible war is waged between beings of air and fire and those of earth and water to possess the human being. We have to realize this. Nowadays humanity has developed great knowledge of external nature. Within this natural world, luciferic and aramonic beings live side by side and endure each other. But human beings are unaware of what lives beyond the sensory world of supersensible nature and subhuman nature. These two realms conceal beings who fight this terrible war to possess the human being as I have described. The being called Yahweh or Jehovah in the Old Testament dwells, if I may use this expression, and remembering what I said about how I'm using such words, in the moon. In other words, this entelechy in the cosmos belongs to what comes to expression in physical moon phenomena. This moon being, Yahweh, has the following task in the world order. The primary task of this intelligence is to lead to earth the human being as he descends from the world of spirit and soul and mantles himself in a body. But this Yahweh being also, if you like, retains the right to be involved with the human being on earth as well and to regulate everything that relates to the powers of reproduction. So this Yahweh being, dwelling, as it were, in the moon, leads us down to earth and seeks to rule in us everything connected with the drives and instincts of reproduction. Yet reproduction cannot be ruled in isolation since it connects with other human instincts and drives. And, therefore, the Yahweh being needs helpers to maintain harmony between the instincts relating, for instance, to eating and drinking and those involved in the instincts of reproduction and to ensure that drives and instincts are ruled in general. And Yahweh, the moon god, if I may call him that, finds these helpers in Mercury and Venus. In the spiritual cosmos, therefore, We find a kind of alliance between the moon, the Yahweh being there, and everything populating the moon alongside Yahweh, and the beings in Venus and Mercury. The beings in this alliance seek to maintain dominion over our flesh and blood from the moon, Mercury and Venus. We are not just earthly beings, but effects play into us from the universe. If we now consider the beings I referred to earlier as Aramonic, who as beings of earth and water build their fortress below the earth's surface, we find that they have not grown mature enough to approach these celestial bodies in the same way that Yahweh inhabits the moon, or His helpers inhabit Mercury and Venus. In the world order, they are condemned to reside below the earth's surface, rather than dwelling in the moon, Venus or Mercury. As you can imagine, therefore, these entirely immoral beings not only wage war against the beings of air and fire, but primarily against Yahweh and the powers of Venus and Mercury, trying to dispossess Yahweh of his rightful dominion. Yahweh regulates the instinctive aspects of our nature. Because he does so from beyond the earth, They remain subject also to a power other than moral ones, and yet they do not necessarily become immoral. Yahweh's proper dominion means that the human race has developed on the earth in the way we know, and for this to happen the powers of the moon, Mercury and Venus were necessary. To oppose the human race subject to Yahweh, these Aramonic beings try to establish the other race I described. And a primary means for them to do so is what I characterized last time. While a human being sleeps, they approach him and tell him that good is bad and bad is good. It is so terribly easy for a person to accept this while asleep and then to bring it back into his physical and ether body on awakening. And these Aramonic entities believe they will achieve their goal, by whispering into our sleep like this, inspiring us to heinous evil. In other words, we ought really to depend entirely on the higher powers of the moon, Venus and Mercury, as far as our lower nature is concerned. Our lower nature is not intrinsically evil or base, only becoming so, in so far as the powers in enmity with Yahweh enter people as I have described. Yahweh wants these entities to come to expression only in the ebb and flow of tides, in volcanic eruptions and earthquakes. But they make strenuous efforts to assert themselves within us as well, not only initiating attacks from their earthly fortress against beings of air and fire, but also primarily against Yahweh and his helpers on Venus and Mercury. Thus human beings are caught up in a battle waged on the one hand by Yahweh and his hosts who fight for justice in the universe and on the other by the hosts of Ahriman whose ingenious cleverness is far greater than that of human beings and who wants to utterly deny our moral nature and instead make us into intelligent automata. Rising from below into the human being as it were you have the produce read that again, rising from below into the human being, as it were, you have the produce humankind must eat, originating in earth and water. We do not draw sustenance from air, nor from mere warmth. The beings who have their corporeality in air and warmth are as undeveloped as those in enmity with Yahweh. Developed, mature beings, by contrast, live on Mars, Jupiter, Jupiter. And Saturn. These beings of air and fire, therefore, do not simply battle against the Aramonic powers, but also against everything affecting human beings from Mars, Jupiter and Saturn. Mars, Jupiter and Saturn, these distant planets affect us, or rather their spiritual beings do, primarily through the external sensory organs of eyes, ears and so forth. Whereas the moon... Venus and Mercury act within us, in our inner organs, Saturn, Jupiter and Mars work in our sense organs. For instance, the actions of Saturn are primarily located in the human eye, EYE. These beings of Saturn, Jupiter and Mars seek to make us into very earthly human beings, giving us senses properly set into the surface of a physical human organism. They want to give us nerves that pass from these senses and extend inside us. Saturn gives us the senses. Jupiter is responsible for the neural connections with them. And Mars is a potency that gives us speech, for example. In other words, these beings seek to endow us with everything close to our surface, our skin. These senses and nerves are infoldings of the human skin. The beings of air and fire I spoke of again fight tooth and nail against Jupiter, Saturn and Mars. They sit there in their castles in the air and in particular in lightning and everything fiery in nature, unfold their powers in the atmosphere. They would like to make the human being into nothing really but an entire eye, E-Y-E ear or nose, pouring our whole surface through us to make us beings who do nothing but see and hear. They would like us not to eat or drink, but just see and hear, and thus become a kind of angel being. Well, the beings of Mars, Jupiter and Saturn behave very decently, if I can say this of such lofty beings, within external nature. They penetrate what appears to us a purely natural world with morality. They bring morality toward us and it actually enters through our senses. But the beings of air and fire seek to pervade us entirely with our sensory nature so that we simply see with our senses nothing except what is moral. They want to make us, therefore, into moral automata. If you observe nature around you, you find that everything expressed in forces and energies comes from the Mars beings while Jupiter beings are responsible for natural laws and Saturn beings for color and tone. But the beings of air and fire would like to prevent us from becoming entirely physically endowed, want to allow us only to be force, law, that means thought, and color and tone. They want to dilute us or dissipate us, and as I said, make us into an angel being of sorts. In external nature, the Moon, Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, Mars and Saturn are in harmony, kept in equilibrium by the Sun. But as far as human nature is concerned, they are waging a twofold battle. Firstly, the Aramonic and Luciferic beings are battling with each other. Secondly, the Luciferic beings are battling with all the planetary powers, beyond the Sun of Mars, Jupiter and Saturn. And then the Aramonic beings in turn are battling with everything working through the Moon, Venus and Jupiter. A hard battle is therefore being waged behind the surface of nature and in the human being. And on this battlefield we have to achieve our progress and our freedom. In ancient times, this was accomplished through the teachings of the mysteries. But nowadays, we must seek to do it by what we learn from spiritual research about the invisible realms underlying nature and below the level of our human life. You see, to be unaware of these things would in future lead humanity into the gravest decline. From what I have said, you will see that the beings I have described as Luciferic and Aramonic are very highly developed in certain different respects. The Luciferic beings in relation to morality and the Aramonic beings as far as cleverness and intelligence are concerned. Yet despite this, both types of being repeatedly believe that they will achieve their aims and keep launching fresh efforts to further and attain these aims but on the earth they continually meet with disappointment, finding their aims are thwarted. Encountering these luciferic or aramonic beings behind nature or below the human being, you keep seeing them celebrating euphoric victories on the one hand, holding to their aims and refusing to relinquish them, continually believing that victory is at hand, and on the other they are repeatedly disappointed and thwarted upon the earth. You can say that this mood of victorious euphoria, followed by repeated disappointment, con- constitutes the life of this type of being. Specifically, they are disappointed on earth by the physical nature of the human being. One gains the very strong impression that Araman and Lucifer are profoundly disappointed if you spend any time in hospitals, or by the beds of patients, or in mental hospitals. These beings wage a hard battle, as I said, to possess human nature, but every time one side is victorious against the other, they find their aims have not been served. It is somewhat different with Araman's victory against the gods of the moon, Venus and Mars and likewise that of the spirits of air and fire against Jupiter, Mars and Saturn. These are never complete victories, however. Their successes against each other seem to strengthen them, but are really only Pyrrhic victories, and thus give rise to their disappointment. Picture for a moment that the Aramonic powers succeed in winning a victory over the Luciferic powers in the human physical body over those powers that would like to pervade us entirely with our outer senses. When the Aramonic beings are victorious, we succumb to diseases such as tumors, carcinomas, or metabolic disorders such as diabetes. Whenever a disease such as this physically affects us, Aramon has won a victory against Lucifer, and this will be associated with a potential ruination of our physical nature. And then this physical nature can no longer serve Araman; He can no longer draw from it the instincts and drives with which to create his own race of entities. This will give you a paradoxical yet accurate insight into illness. In many cases, it is the only means whereby the good powers can save the human being from the clutches of Araman. And when Lucifer wins a victory in our human nature, over Aramonic powers that seek to harden us and draw us down into their race of mere water and earth beings, we succumb to allergic or catarrhal disorders or can develop mental disorders, and this in turn renders Lucifer's victory redundant. These Aramonic and Luciferic powers continually work with all their strength to secure their victories, only to be downcast and disappointed beside sickbeds in hospitals, and in lunatic asylums. But then they find that, however much they battle, they cannot possibly ever be victorious in the last resort. If you gain insight into the human being's etheric nature rather than just our physical nature, then you can discover the conditions which lead to such disappointments for the Aramonic and Luciferic beings. You see... When the Luciferic beings are victorious over Aramonic beings in the etheric body, a person becomes an habitual liar, but thereby he lapses from morality and from the world Lucifer wishes to raise him into. Lucifer seems to pull human beings from the earthly world, but instead of making them moral automata, he makes them into liars. And by becoming an habitual liar, In this making of a person into a liar, a weapon is given to the good powers, however paradoxical this sounds, a weapon to draw us away from the clutches of Lucifer. You see, we can overcome the lying habit, improve it, at least as karma unfolds, whereas if Lucifer were truly victorious, the human race would be lost, would be lifted entirely away from the earth. When Araman is victorious in the etheric body, or is close to being so, we become possessed, inwardly possessed, by cleverness. But because we are inwardly possessed by intelligence, this cleverness remains within us as possession, pervading the etheric body. And then, once again, Araman is unable to drag our instincts and drives down as he wishes, since they are now rooted in the etheric body due to this possession. Thus the success of the adversary spirits, leading either to mendacity or to possession, continually pulls them up short and faces them with their greatest disappointments. We can consider the astral body here too. Let's assume that Aramonic powers are victorious in someone's astral body, or close to being so. Then a person can become a crass egotist, completely egotistic. But if he is, he holds his instincts under control, and Aramon can't get hold of them or draw them forth. And so the crass egotist also deprives Aramon of his booty. And if Lucifer is victorious or close to being so, a person can become an egoless dreamer in his astral body, someone who isn't really fully present in himself. Such things exist, or at least we can fall prey to such conditions from time to time. This again is a great disappointment for Luciferic powers. And so you see how many sources of disappointment there are on earth for the Aramonic and Luciferic powers. But, at the same time, you can see that we are in the midst of a battlefield. In the midst of ancient initiation mysteries, this was already so. We stood in a battle that takes place behind the veil of the physical world. In those times, the teachers of the mysteries, the first great teachers, were messengers of God the Father. The pupils of these messengers were the gurus, and their pupils, in turn, were the chalas of lower rank but the greatest gurus were directly instructed by the divine messengers from God the Father. Illnesses, as I have described, are sources of the greatest disappointment for Araman and Lucifer. Human illnesses, in a sense, numb and paralyze Lucifer and Araman. Despite the fact that Ahrimanic beings are so clever and Luciferic beings so moral, because their awareness is particularly bright and clear, they can become still more befogged and confused by it. And thus the messengers of the gods were undisturbed by Aramon and Lucifer, finding remedies for various disorders, as I touched on last time. For instance, curing a Saturn disorder by means of the moon and such like. This was in the ancient mysteries, where the messengers of God the Father could directly draw a human being out of the confusion he was exposed to in this battle waged behind nature and below the human level. In modern times, the confusion we can fall prey to is no less than it was in ancient times. It does not matter if we know nothing about it in our normal awareness. The confusion exists nevertheless. People are torn hither and thither in the battle waged around them, behind nature and below it. And if we cross the threshold and look consciously into the world of spirit, gaze upon this dire battle, if we observe this confusion of activity around the human being, below him and behind nature, we will look in vain today for any messenger of the gods, such as those who, for example, handed ancient mystery physicians the staff of Mercury and similar symbols for healing. We can no longer hold our own at all in this great battleground between the retrograde upper beings of Mars, Jupiter and Saturn and the lower retrograde beings of the Moon, Venus and Mercury. If you cross the threshold you will actually find yourself in the midst of this dire conflict between upper and lower powers, opposing each other like two warring camps, the air and fire beings as lapsed moon, Saturn, Jupiter and Mars beings, and earth and water beings who are lapsed moon, Venus and Mercury beings. And the conflict rages beyond the threshold in dire fashion, so that the sun first flames with fire and then is darkened and obscured and at last appears as a terrible black disk. This was not so for the ancient initiates, for they saw through this black disk, and from it came the divine messengers of God the Father to them, for instance, bearing a knowledge of healing in ancient times. In modern times we cross the threshold and find this terrible battle raging, The sun grows red, grows black, but remains a black disk, and we are repulsed, and to find our way to survive in this confusing battle, have to search upon the earth itself. And here we are guided to the Christ, who stands there as a spiritual being who bound himself to the earth through the mystery of Golgotha, and says to us, Do not despair that the sun has grown black, it is black now because I, the sun-god, no longer dwell in it, but have descended and bound myself to the earth. Quote. If we then approach Christ with the greatest inner humility and devotion, and with clear insight into what comes to us through knowledge of the mystery of Golgotha, while the sun does not brighten again, it remains a black disc. It begins to make audible everything Christ speaks to us. And then we learn of Christ's affinity with the sun. Though it remains a black disk, the sun becomes the being who enables us to hearken to Christ if we have first developed in ourselves the right inner relationship to him. And then it is the Christ who tells humankind of the means to reconcile the upper with the lower powers, how one can reconcile the powers above the black sun disk who manifest around our earth as beings of air and fire, with the lower beings. And as human beings, specifically, we acquire guidance, precepts, both for healing illnesses and for understanding all the other evils that continually disappoint Lucifer and Ahriman. Through the power of Christ and the power of the mystery of Golgotha, we come to the point of being able to say this wondrous thing, quote, You, creatures of Araman and Lucifer, you are disappointed by the evils that must arise on earth through you as you achieve your only partial victories. But these disappointments will keep recurring, since you will continually engender sick or possessed people and the liars, egotists and egoless. And thus you will continually swing back and forth between euphoria, and disappointment. But when the earthly human being finds the right relationship to Christ, he will not despair at the moment he witnesses the despair of beings higher than he is, who follow a different path from the divine beings to whom the human being belongs, and with whom he should keep faith as earth goes on evolving. At the core of these divine beings is the Christ being, who once spoke through the sun's disk to the ancient initiates and who now continues to speak to us from the earth with the sun's aid. And so in speaking of Christ today, we are speaking of the one who can stand beside us on earth as the guide who leads us away from the dire conflict that Aramonic and Luciferic powers wage both with one another and against the upper and lower worlds of the gods. The End of Lecture 8